You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Well, you're very, very welcome. My name is Ahanu and with me is Angel Rose. Angel Rose, haven't we got a whopper of a conversation today? We do, Ahano. We have a very, in fact, I think our hour is not going to be long enough. We may have to have Nancy back on again, looking at the content, because my head's already reeling for questions. This is probably a lifetime discussion, really, isn't it, it, though? I imagine it could be. There's a lot to this, actually, and a lot of history. So we'll see. I mean, I don't really want to spend a lot of time bantering, except to say that it is cloudy again here in Redmond, Oregon, Ahano, and they promised us that this was a sunny part of Oregon. But I know it was a lie, wasn't it? I know why that is, though. It's it's a shield to shield the aliens from Get out of here. coming and landing on Let's Earth. Let's take this seriously now. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I, I am very serious because our subject today is about unidentified flying objects. It's about aliens. And, you know, There's a lot of negativity around aliens, and I know from my own first-hand experience, because I'm regarded, believe it or not, listeners, I am regarded as an alien in the United States of America. Do you believe that? (laughs) Being Irish. (laughs) Well, not just that I'm Irish. I think anybody who's not born in the United States is classified as an alien until they become a citizen. That's a different kind of alien, huh? But what difference is it, though? I mean, it's, it's regarded as being separate, isn't it? Well, yes. Absolutely. Or different. Right. Or yeah. not allowed, or not you're, having you're, privileges. You're considered a permanent resident alien. <laughs> <laughs> How does okay. that make sense? Well, anyway. now, you know, I, I'll tell you why I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. is because not only do I feel, in a sense, in a, in a vague sense, ostracized because of that label, but also because I've never actually witnessed or seen any alien craft, even though I've tried. I've laid out on the grass at night, stared up at the stars. We've even been in places like Mount Shasta and places where aliens are supposedly reported to be flying in and out of the mountain and like that kind of thing. And I've never seen anything. But we have spoken to people who have. So I'm not saying I don't believe in any of it because I do. And I don't believe for one moment that we're the only sentient beings in the in the universe because that that's just ridiculous to even assume that for a moment. But because it's not in my first-hand experience, I'm always, always intrigued by speaking to people where it is their first-hand experience. And our guest today is Nancy Duterte, and she has entered the UFO field through the back door. She wasn't interested in UFOs at all until just recently, in June 19... June, no, 2011, in fact, it was, when she witnessed a football field-sized boomerang-shaped craft covered in orange lights sitting motionless in the sky above a mall in Parsipani in New Jersey, and that was near her home. And since then, she has since had many, though less impressive, UFO sightings and also realised she had actually seen UFOs prior to that time. And without realising it, she had spent the previous decade slowly grooming her psychic and paranormal skills, which would later become invaluable in her exploration of the UFO field. Nancy, come and join us and let's talk about the aliens and the UFOs. 
Thank you very much. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have... It's been relatively new to you in that sense, as I've described there. But your interest in psychic phenomena didn't happen until the mid-90s when you unexpectedly communicated with a dead spirit during a training session for psychotherapists. Can you tell us about how that began for you? Yeah. Um, first of all, I was practicing securities litigation as an attorney in New York, and um, I was... Uh, interested in gestalt psychotherapy and I was invited as the only non-therapist to come into a regular training session just because I don't know why but anyway I was in there and um, it was a it's a brand new type of gestalt psychotherapy it's intuitive gestalt psychotherapy so it's it's different it kind of uh, takes psychotherapy right up to the edge of psychic phenomenon but doesn't go into it um, it just takes it into this unbelievably uh, intuitive realm. But we would have usually, um, everybody would sit in a, all these uh, psychotherapists in training, we'd sit in a circle. I didn't know any of them. And uh, one person would be selected to sit on the so-called sort of hot seat. And all that person had to do was simply sit there. They weren't supposed to move or to talk or to say anything, just nothing, nothing, just sit there. And then the, um, the psychotherapist who was conducting this, his name is Dr. Ron D'Angelo, he would ask us these, what I thought were ridiculous questions, like, if this person um, were an animal, what kind of animal would they be? And you're not supposed to answer, you're just supposed to you know, record your impressions. Um, what's their environment? Where do they live? Where are their parents? What are, they, what are, they, what are their needs? What do they, what do they eat? You know, just crazy stuff. Or you know, it, it, what kind of cartoon character would this person be? You know, so unusual questions. And then what he would do is he'd go around the, the circle and he'd ask for your responses. And what was amazing was that people would, time and time again, you'd have a majority of people coming up with similar, if not identical answers. Mm. You know, as if the information was somehow floating out there in the ethers, and all we had to do was collect it. Right. Yeah. And, and so that struck me. I thought, oh, isn't that, that's really cool stuff. Um, anyway, there was one, uh, we were doing this. There was uh, an Indian lady, you know, originally from India, who was sitting in the hot seat. She had long, beautiful black hair, and she just sat there, and we were asked all the regular questions, and we came up with our answers, and it was really interesting. And so Dr. D'Angelo said, the end, okay, folks, well, you know, see you in a, in, in a week or so. And I suddenly felt like somebody was almost pushing my shoulder from behind me, almost in a way of like saying, do it, do it, say it. And I'm thinking, what the heck? Hmm. And I finally, I, I raised my hand and I said, uh, Dr. D'Angelo, can I, 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 could I just ask this lady on the hot seat, could I just ask her a question? And he said, before we go, and he said, sure. And I said, I, I know you're not going to like it, uh, because I already could feel that it wasn't going to go down the kind of road that he was interested in. Right. I mean, it was going to go down the psychic road. And I was not psychic. I didn't engage in that stuff. I didn't particularly believe in it. It was interesting, but, you know, that was it. And, uh, well, anyway, and I said to her, uh, this woman, I said, uh, 
I'm sorry to ask you this, but do you know anybody with the initials uh, MS? And she said, no. I said, okay, good, done, you know. Hmm. And then I get that feeling, almost like somebody pushing me on my shoulder from behind me saying, come on, go, do it, say it. Hmm. I said, all right. Um, because she had, she said no, and then she said why, and I said, well, do you know anybody um, with the first name either Mary Maria Marie, last name starting with the letter S? And she said, and she thought about it for a while, well, you know, maybe I don't know, 10 years ago I might have had a secretary with that name, but I'm not really sure. I said, no, 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 forget it. That's not it. Yes. And I was ready to get out of this because now I'm making an idiot of myself in front of all of these psychotherapists. Yes. And um, she said, why? And she, and I said, oh, no. I said, fine. There's a, there's a spirit who has just walked between us from my right, moving to my left. The spirit is standing over there on my left. The spirit is, is facing you. And for some strange reason, I thought maybe it might have been your mother. Now, I knew that her mother had uh, passed away. So I sort of assumed it was her. And this was the first time you ever had an experience like this, yeah? Oh, yeah. No, I never had anything, not even remotely close to this. Right. Anyway, she, st she burst out crying. She said, no, that was my mother's sister. And her name was Maria, whatever it was, last name, Indian name, starting with S. Mm. And uh, then I, I delivered the message to her. Anyway, it was it was sort of a it was a very weird, uh, sudden, spontaneous mediumship event for me, right. and even then, I really didn't believe that that was the capability that I had. I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't know uh, very much about our uh, Angel Rose or myself and our background, and we've been at the edge of psychic phenomena and, and psychic abilities for years and years and years. It's been our life path, really, and. But your your pathway was very different. I mean, you, you mentioned that you were an attorney practicing securities litigation in New York, and you, you would certainly not have believed in psychics or ghosts or UFOs or anything like that. And uh, indeed, you, you your past includes uh, owning a nursing home in Brooklyn and a printing company and a health industry newspaper. And you're very much in the 3D side of things. So you're your experience with this psychic phenomena then must have really thrown you because I do know that you went on to see tables flying up in the air and watching physical items materializing and hearing disembodied voices and prophetic dreams and that kind of thing. Yeah, so, who'd have thunk? Yeah, <laughs> so th this kind of opened a door for you in some ways. Um. I don't know whether that was what opened the door for me because, um, like I think most people who have unusual experiences and, and there's no place to categorize them or classify them, you just kind of shelve them and say, I don't know what that was and therefore I'm not going to think about it. I think what, I mean, what really got me into this was when I at some point had decided to help Dr. D'Angelo uh, to try and uh, finish his book on intuitive gestalt psychotherapy and I said you know any way I can help you I'd be happy to well he didn't get back to me for six months and then I'm thinking oh no he's not going to do this and this is great stuff yeah. so I would write a book on the 
psycho the, the psychology of intuition and what i discovered was at least at that time scientists neuroscientists psychologists psychiatrists nobody was interested in in this highly subjective phenomenon so gotcha. then i went out and met all of these people who i had never ever associated with you know probably mm. people who were hanging out with when you were kids mm. but me no you know yeah 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 and how was that for you because i mean that's like going from black to white or going you know i mean it's a total cultural divide for you yeah it is a total yeah. yes exactly um but i really think in general people most people hate ambiguity um, yes. That's I think in a lot of religions, it, people like to go to religion because it sets out very clear black and white guidelines about things. Right. Same thing with science. It's very clear black and white. People get really uncomfortable when you have to live with something in a state of suspended disbelief where you just can't really say, well, was that real? Maybe not. I'm not really sure because people don't like to hold that in their brains. And I think I'm probably better able to do that than most people. And that allowed me to cross worlds. So what was the turning point, Nancy? You know, um, in terms of that one experience that you shared with us, the very first one, in, and then going to, you know, uh, becoming a medium, becoming somebody who can talk to aliens and actually see a ship, there's a big, huge jump there. So what are we talking in terms of a span of years? Uh, you're talking about, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years? Okay, 15, 20 years. Okay. Right. And did you feel, now excuse me using this word, alienated from your previous colleagues and your social circles as you moved more and more into the field of psychic phenomena? No, because the, the good thing about me is I just don't give a damn. I really don't. And, and people who do care, um, it really is their own problem. What I've discovered is that the more that I discuss these kind of bizarre things to people, everybody, almost everybody will, you know, pull me aside later, quietly, secretly, mm -hmm. you know, because they did, they, something happened to them, something happened to a friend, something happened to a family member. People are all familiar with this stuff, but they're terrified of airing it out. So I'm just, I see myself as a kind of a catalyst. I, I allow them to, um, to reveal what they need to reveal about themselves. Right. Now, one thing that you have discovered, and I found this fascinating about you, was that you had never imagined that there could be a connection between the psychic world and the paranormal world of ghosts or the world of UFOs. And you found that they're all related. Can you talk to us about how you found that they were related? And what is the common connection between them? That's only a fairly recent realization that I've had. And, and I, you know, I think I'm probably, at least as far as that goes, I'm sort of dense when it comes to that. I mean, it really did take me an awfully long time to figure it out when probably it should have been obvious. Uh, but... Having now moved into the UFO field, I now understand that knowing about psychic communication, how it operates, um, what it feels like to think uh, telepathically or with ESP or when you are having uh, dream states that are 
either lucid or, or premonitions or that kind of thing. Um, understanding all of that is key to understanding, I think, alien uh, mentality and alien communications. Right. And, and, and the paranormal aspect of it. And, and by the way, I didn't even think that psychic and paranormal things were related. That took me a long time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, when you start to, I trained for uh, 10 years as a psychic detective. When you're doing that, you're dealing with uh, the spirits of people who've generally passed because you're usually dealing with homicide cases, right. which means you're engaging in a form of mediumship, whether you know it or not. Um, and when you're dealing with spirits or ghosts, because I'm very politically incorrect with all the words I use for things mm. as alien or psychic or ghosts or any of that stuff. But anyway, um, ghosts, uh, spirits uh, occupy a sort of a spectrum in, in the spiritual realm as do alien beings. And there are sometimes, you know, more manifestations into the 3D world and sometimes, you know, it could be lesser or greater. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, uh, you know, if you read a lot of the, the cases of, of contactees or abductees, it's, it's extremely common that after they've had their experience, they have all, not only do they get more psychic, but they have all kinds of uh, what would normally be considered very paranormal types of experiences with um, uh, spirits of, of the dead wandering around or psychic kinetic activity or, uh, you know, poltergeist, that kind of thing. So they're related for sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. For you to be employed or engaged as a, as a psychic detective, you must have had a number of successes, let's call it, or been accurate with a number of your intuitions. Can you give us an example of some of those? I mean, without mentioning names, obviously. Yeah. Well, first of all, I never charged for any of my psychic detective work for law enforcement. Um, the kinds of um, cases, as I said, they're primarily missing persons or homicides, I would say the things that made me feel, um, oh, successful in a sense. And I, I never, I don't claim to have ever solved a case. Uh, I, it's the police who solve cases. Um, and I think that psychic detectives are merely their tools to help the um, law enforcement to, to get onto the, the track that is going to be most fruitful. Okay, so if you can uh, give them a initials or the names or the physical descriptions of suspects, that's helpful. If you can uh, give them bits of evidence or where to look for certain types of evidence that's going to be helpful in the case, that's useful. If you can uh, help give them uh, names or identities of uh, potential witnesses or witnesses maybe that they have glossed over or didn't really fully uh, investigate, that's helpful. I think one of the, the things that I always felt most pleased with was when I was able to come up with um, the exact locations 
of where I believed the bodies would be found. And it would turn out uh, that that those were the exact locations uh, where the, the uh, police had been looking for the bodies. So they so, do take this kind of thing seriously then? Do I? No, no, the, the law enforcement. Oh, yeah, but it depends who you're dealing with. Um, you know, some do, some don't. And um, they don't like it to be well-known that they're working with you. Um, and they don't like it to be well-known that, you know, their case may have been resolved because of some psychic. I can see how they would go in that direction. Hmm. Okay, so let's jump up then now, Nancy, to your first encounter with alien beings. Can you talk to us about that? Okay, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I, I don't think, uh, I don't, well, I'm not a, what I would call your, your typical uh, abductee contactee. I have plenty of friends who are, okay? Mm-hmm. I, it's not like I've been sitting in a room and, you know, poof, there was a, a little gray in there. <laughs> uh, I have never been abducted to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, that's not what I have. And one of the things that I do explain in my book, How to Talk to an Alien, is that there are many, many non-traditional methods of communication of which language is only a subset. And in these different types of communication, um, you have things such as um, you've got, well, obviously telepathy also, but you've got uh, electromagnetic manipulation. Okay, so computers, phones, TV sets, anything like that. Um, You've got crop circle symbols, dreams, channeling, remote viewing, uh, technological implants such as, as, uh, or technological devices such as implants. You've got mental downloads. You can communicate with UFO craft. You can use body language. And also I include into that category um, synchronicities, which I think are probably in many instances, the product of a certain degree of mind control or manipulation causing you to intersect at a particular time with something that they want you to know about. So of those, I've received phone calls from what I can only conclude were aliens. Um, They have manipulated my daughter's uh, vocal cords to deliver a message. Uh, I have had lucid dreams. Um, trying to think. Oh, I have uh, communicated using uh, with uh, UFO craft, using I guess a combination of probably telepathy and and lights. So it's sort of been on that level. So, what kind of information are you getting from these beings? Well, can I ask you to just put a little hold on that? and remind our listeners that we're speaking with Nancy Duterte and she has written a book, How to Talk to an Alien. We must take a very, very quick little studio break and when we come back, we're going to ask Nancy about what form that communication takes and and, what messages they give, what languages they speak and do they have accents and whether they speak in the language of the listener. In other words, if it was in Mexico, would they be speaking Spanish and if it was in... Would they be speaking Irish? Would they be speaking? The Irish ones do speak Irish, I know that for sure. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. 
Years of research, thousands of profound statements, hundreds of sessions, miles of transcripts, months of listening, a vast archive of personal power and spiritual awareness awaits you. Join worldofempowerment.com today, a members-only website of practical spirituality for your fast-changing world. worldofempowerment.com Okay, we're back now with Nancy Detart, and she has written a book called How to Talk to an Alien. We're having a very interesting conversation. So Nancy, before the break, we were talking about the many ways that aliens communicate, and I'm interested um, in their message. Do you find that there must be a variety of races, number one. So do you find that you've been communicating with a variety of races or just ones in particular? And what is their message? Okay. So let me also qualify what what I do and what I am. I, I do not channel alien messages. I know plenty of people who do that. They do it in a variety of ways. Some of them go into trance states or hypnosis or they work with a, a partner who asks them questions in a trance situation. Uh, there are plenty of books out there, who, you know, starting with, um, was it Jane, Jane Roberts, um, you, where people are asking questions or being you, sort of uh, writing down downloads of messages. That's not what I have received, me personally. It's just me. Um, I think that I have received, uh, well, in, in the, elect, the, the phone calls that my daughter and I began to receive after we had the UFO sighting, um, a very strange, cold, electronic voice would interrupt our phone calls. And it didn't matter if it was, you know, com- cell phones, landlines, or any combination. It was still managing to interrupt us. Neither one of us could hear each other. We could both hear this voice. It generally sounded male. It was um, sounded like it was coming through incredibly thick sound wave distortion. Very, very difficult to understand. I, I know uh, one time uh, he, he said my daughter's name um, and, and was clearly speaking and creating words, but I don't know exactly what the words were. And then what would happen would be that um, this voice would disconnect both of us simultaneously and then we'd both try and call each other back, and the fo- our phones would both ring and ring and ring for about five, ten minutes. That happened many times between us, and then it began to happen with my daughter and some of her friends and with me and some of my friends. And um, what also, I mean, at some point, um, uh, give you an example, I was doing a, a uh, reading for a well-known psychotherapist, uh, I didn't know anything about her at the time other than she'd had this peculiar experience once in her life uh, when she was driving, a, a face appeared on her windshield and she was so terrified by this. She, uh, you know, pulled over to the side of the, the highway. Many years later, she was uh, going, she went down to South America and discovered uh, there was a, a shaman down there who seemed to have that exact same face and seemed to be waiting for her that's all I knew about her. I did my, my reading with her. And at the very end we stopped and I was just sort of chit chatting. And I was about to say to her, did you ever consider that that boy, that uh, face that you saw on your windshield might've been an alien and not the shaman. And I'm about to say the word 
alien. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose on the phone. It's that same electronic craziness. Only now, I can't even describe the sounds that it's making. And I have a really good vocabulary. I'm very good at identifying sensory experiences. And there's no way I could do that. And can you safely say that it wasn't some kind of surveillance um, or, you know, purpose purposeful electronic interference with you and your phones. Sure. If, if you could say that, well, I've never had any of that type of surveillance, number one. Number two, why would they be talking? Uh, number three, how would they know what I was thinking? That I was about to launch into a discussion of aliens and then they cut off the entire thing with this craziness. And what would the point of that be, Nancy? Well, um, you know, I think in this realm of alien communication, a lot of it is done in um, complexity, riddles, puzzles, and ambiguous concepts. So I don't claim to know 100% the answer, but my, my sense was that it was an effort to, so that I would never be able to ask her that question because maybe there was some uh, secret agenda that they had going with her that they did not want her to realize. I'm a little puzzled simply because my understanding is that these aliens want to be heard and have some messages, but you, you feel or you've said that they may not want a lot of people to know of their agenda or what it is that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't, again, I don't claim to have the, the absolute final answer on that either. They don't have the ability to uh, link with us in a way that we can understand what their intention is when they communicate. You know, it may be that their, their, um, their brains, their awareness, their consciousness operate completely differently, you know, and function totally differently from the way that we see things or understand things. So it's possible there's is that uh, given the fact that um, uh, we seem to have had, if you look at the, the history of ufology, kind of a this kind of weird, rocky relationship with our government, our military, and UFOs, and a history of trying to chase them around in the skies, um, shooting at them, them turning off our nuclear uh, missile systems, or turning them on, and you know, scaring the pants off us because we think it, maybe it's the Russians or somebody else and, you know, just barely missing uh, the next world war because we don't know what's going on. I think there's, they may, they don't seem to be, at least to my knowledge, uh, wanting to deal so much with the government anymore. And it seems to be a much more grassroots effort to communicate with uh, you know, the regular folks. Um, yeah. and, and so the messages are coming through kind of differently. So what do you think about the crop circles then, Nancy? Where are they coming from and what do you think they're all, all about? Um, a few decades ago, I had an opportunity to go to that area in um, England and I researched and was able to fa find a small... Um, tavern, which I think has become very famous since then, but it was not at the time. It was a place where the crappies used to go. And I spoke with a, 
a British fellow there who said that he had uh, traveled quite a distance. He'd always dreamt of going there to, you know, see the crop circles and, you know, communicate with the aliens somehow and was incredibly disappointed to find out that it was all being run by a ring of about 50 people or 60 people who were creating the crop circles. He eventually said he became part of that ring and he got over his disappointment about the aliens. Why? Because he said somehow he believed they were communicating with all of these guys who were making the crop circles because very often they would come up with the same symbols, the same ideas, the same concepts, sometimes on the same night, and they'd even sometimes bump into each other making the same crop circles. So he believes they were being communicated with. Second thing is that, uh, and I'm sure you know about this, the, um, you know, the, the orbs of light that are often seen around the crop circles, you know, on the night that they're being made and stuff. Um, so I started out rather skeptical on that. I think I'm, I'm becoming less and less skeptical. I do think it's a, a form of communication. And I think that the symbols on there, regardless of if they're being channeled or filtered through people's brains, are nonetheless uh, a form of communication about things like, you know, they had a recent crop circle that was um, the pictorial representation of the number pi, uh, even with a little dot representing it being rounded up. They've got new theorems being developed in geometry that are being shown through the crop circles. Um, there may be certain types of uh, electromagnetic uh, relationships um, diagrams that are being given to us that way. So I do believe it's a form of communication. I do too. And we actually have friends who went to England two years ago to that, to an area where many circles appear and they collectively made an intention the night before that they wanted a crop circle. You know, like if it was really, you know, off-planet beings were making these, that they they asked for a crop circle to appear the next morning that had a particular design in it. And sure enough, when they woke up, that circle was there. So that would, wouldn't have had anything to do with humans making it, you know? Well, it, it could. If you, if you understand that we humans are more than what we think we're cracked up to be. Well, that's true. That's the point. Right, yeah, yeah. Now, we asked you just before the break, Nancy, about what language do they speak and if they speak Spanish or Italian or German or English or what. In your experience, in your book, How to Talk to an Alien, can you tell us what you have found out about what language they speak? Sure. Oh, and by the way, my, my husband always goes around telling, he says, you know, you have to tell people that you've been talking to an alien for a long time. <laughs> he's French. <laughs> so no, I'm amused by that because yes, yes, And I think I think it's actually a very good example for for us and for people to understand because I know from my own background that my impression when we spoke about aliens was that it was you know some short being with big black eyes and that kind of thing, but in my experience in coming to the United States as a, what did you call me, a permanent resident alien, yes. And I realize now that it's simply about having a different 
background or a different culture or a different body color or a different attitude or a different language that is not spoken in the local place. So in that way, every foreigner is an alien somewhere. And uh, so that's the way I've come to understand the off-planet beings as being just from somewhere else that we don't have a full understanding about their culture or their language or their ways. So when when uh, I can identify with your husband then when he says, listen, <laughs> French, I'm, <laughs> I'm an alien. What kind of language, though, uh, do, do they communicate telepathically with a person in their own language? Um, well, what I thought was very interesting. For, okay, so I have to let me back it up a little bit. Yes, um, there are many different species and races of aliens visiting us, and estimates that I have read have gone from anywhere from four to fifty-seven to eighty-two to one hundred and sixty up into the three hundreds, and they're probably way more than that that we're just not aware of. There are lots of them. Okay, that's first thing. Second of all, of those different races and species, only some have the physical anatomy required to communicate audibly and vocally like a human. All right? Among those different races and species of, of aliens, some have the innate uh, intelligence to somehow be able to um, speak literally hundreds of human languages. We have 7 billion people on the planet speaking 7,000 languages. And some of these aliens are able to do hundreds of them, plus their own alien languages. Some of them, on the other hand, aren't able to do any of them. And they communicate, and this is, you know, the research that I've done, uh, they communicate strictly through um, body language or, uh, you know, sign language, that kind of thing. Some uh, some others um, require certain types of technological devices. So they have spheres or wands or um, boxes, things like that, that they use that sort of operate like Google Translate, or they have little uh, knobs on their headsets that they can switch to change languages, or they communicate with some of them that I've heard of, a language ship, a mothership that's located outside the Earth's atmosphere that automatically translates different languages for them. So I think people always need to it's just a good thing to be aware of that, you know, people always say, oh, the aliens, they're just, you know, so much more advanced, so much more intelligent, you know, we're nothing. And that's not really true. We're somewhere in the mix in there. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but of the languages that they are able to speak there, I went through tons of cases. I mean, they can speak uh, what I thought was, I mean, all your, your, you know, Chinese, um, English, Spanish, French, German, Italian, uh, Portuguese, um, uh, Danish. They even speak Finnish, which I thought was just extraordinary because nobody speaks Finnish. Mm. There are only five million people in the world who speak Finnish. Well, do you think that this ability that they have to, to speak these multiple languages, do you think that is an aspiration for humanity? Now, you did... You did explain that we perhaps think we're inferior in some ways and perhaps we're in the middle somewhere along that that growth towards our full human potential but do you think that these aliens are in a place that we as a as a species are aspiring to grow to in terms of their abilities 
Well, okay. And that brings me back to your question about telepathy. And, and I have been asked frequently whether is telepathy an advanced form of communication? Right. And my answer is maybe it could be an advanced form. It could also be a more simply efficient form, let's say for what I would call a one-mind species where everybody acts collectively, you know, as a, as a piece of the machinery of the group rather than individually. So it would make more sense you communicate telepathically. Or in cases where if you don't have the equipment to make audible speech, well, telepathy just makes, it just makes sense. So is it more evolved for us? Yeah, I think it's more evolved because that's a it's a higher level of of uh, being able to empathize, and empathy is a higher, more spiritually evolved state. Now, Nancy, what about implants? What do you know about them? Um, have you encountered any yourself, and what are they being used for? Yeah, I I know people who have them. Uh, I also. Uh, you know, I used to have a, a CBS radio show and I had the chance to interview uh, Dr. Roger Lear when he was alive. Actually, he had invited me to come and see his last uh, or his latest surgery. It ended up being his last one and I didn't get a chance. Um, but what was interesting is the way that he was describing some of these implants during the surgeries. He said that, you know, you'd, you'd uh, cut into the skin and you would, with your you know, your tweezers or whatever the heck they use, you try and grab them and pull them out. And these things would, he said, uh, be able to anticipate the movements of the tweezers and move around under the skin. Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff. Uh, that also he learned eventually that if he didn't, when, when these implants were removed, if they weren't stored in the actual tissue and blood of the person from whom they came, they would... Um, disintegrate within minutes just gone and these would be you know forms of of metal or or silicates i guess uh and they would just they were gone and what are they used for well you have um the the abductee i think his name was uh cardenas from florida he was cuban born spoke spanish and he said that when, after he was abducted, what they and he was sort of okay with that. He was fine with that. That um, he he claimed that they um, put implants behind both of his ears, and that after he had those implants, he was able to receive communications from them, and that he could see three uh, D imagery. He could get smells, uh, experience hot and cold, all kinds of things because of whatever the technology was that they were being able to send through him. Even Dr. Lear said that the implants were emitting some type of um, radio frequency, which sort of suggests they were either, you know, transmitters or receivers, mm-hmm. not mere tracking devices. Right. And do you think they're abducting people for genetic experimentation? And I And I'm also curious if you have an opinion on why you think there are so many alien species visiting Earth, and what's their interest in this planet? Well, I mean, what things I say, you know, we need to learn the language so you can figure out what the intentions are, because we always seem to get the, the you know, the horse in front of the, the cart. 
or the cart in front of the whichever way it goes <laughs> cart in front of the horse there you go um i think that um they are he- i've been told okay that they're they're here for a variety of purposes some genetic exploitation you know some people have said well yeah they're using us as a slave race as drones as or as you know a food source or, you know those are all the evil empire type concepts of of aliens and that may be true because my sources have told me that there are some benevolent ones and some not so benevolent ones and they're here for all different purposes some of them get lost apparently in the galaxy and end up here those are the not so smart ones um you have some here for trade i assume given some of the communications that have been uh translated and delivered um that it's very often for uh uh, metals or uh, rare earth elements or, or minerals, things like that. Um, you have others that really apparently do want to see us evolve for a number of reasons. And it may not be 100%, you know, altruistic just because they think we're really cute and we ought to develop. Uh, I think that, you know, the overriding message is really we're all interconnected and we want you to develop because we don't want you to, to mess up our world. I think there's a, you know, there's a, a selfish element, if you want to call it that, which is that if you're, all of us are interconnected in this sort of spiritual and physical matrix, that if there's a, uh, th- there's a ripple effect of disasters. So if we inadvertently blow ourselves up with our nuclear weapons or we screw up the earth by making it so completely unsustainable that it's destroyed that that has a ripple effect throughout you know the the spiritual kingdoms quasi physical kingdoms and the other dimensions and and all of that stuff so they have an interest right right nancy have you found that there's any sort of a common denominator between people who are abducted in other words why would they pick some people and not others nancy can i ask you to hold that answer because usually we would be drawing to a close at this point in time in our show, but we want to continue with you because there are so many unanswered questions here. Yeah, so let's just take a very, very quick studio break. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to A World of Empowerment Service from Angel Rose and Ahanu. Now we're speaking with Nancy Duterte, who has written a book, How to Talk to an Alien, and we're moving into our third segment of the show here today because we have so many unanswered questions. And Nancy, before the break, we were you were speaking about these numbers of aliens, all the different species that have arrived on Earth and so on. And I have a number of questions around that. Why do you think that they're coming here right now? I mean, there's so many uh, different theories out there that, for example, some, some are religious, some are spiritual, some are conspiracy, that the earth is moving into a kind of a place or a, or a, a cycle that allows for this kind of communication to take place now as opposed to any other time. What do you, what do you feel about that? My feeling is on the spiritual level that there is what a lot of people have talked about as being sort of a thinning of the veil. Yes. So there's a... Um, and, and I don't know whether that's related to this particular point in history or it's related to our collective consciousness, which is now open enough to kind of 
be receptive to that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's related to some of the scientific experiments that are going on around the world, which may be fiddling around with various uh, um, electromagnetic uh, frequencies. Right. Yes. I don't, I, so I don't know the answer. Right. To, so it could be a combination of all of those things, perhaps. Yeah. I think so. Now what about what about the notion that these extraterrestrials are actually coming home? That, in other words, they were originally belonging here and, for whatever reasons, went off planet, and now they're coming home. <laughs> What's your thoughts about that? I I have no problem with that, um, and that's after you know doing a lot of research and stuff, and and. I think, you know, I tend to try and take really big mystery questions and I I try to approach them from very narrow angles because I just find that that helps me with my small brain to try and figure stuff out. And and let me just give you a quick example. In my book Psychic Intuition, I didn't talk about, you know, what is what is psychic phenomena because I really don't know and it's huge. What I tried to do was simply explain psychic ability in the human mind from in terms of neuroscience, psychology, and linguistics. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of do something similar in the alien world. Instead of trying to, um, you know, figure out have they been here before? I mean, that's sort of been the, the ancient astronauts, um, uh, uh, you know, the approach of, of those theorists, those people mm-hmm. working on that. I'm saying just look at the language. And if you simply look at language, um, it begins to suggest, if you follow the the trail, that they have been here before. Why? Because if you look at uh, some of the alien writing um, or listen to some of the alien speech patterns, they seem to have a relationship to some of our ancient languages. And in particular, I mean, the the thing that I ran into was, uh, and I didn't know this before, um, was that the somebody was showing me at a, a jewelry trunk show this necklace and with these scrolls, and she said, "Oh, they're Ethiopian, nineteenth century. They're called kitabis. They're written in in goat's blood, and they have their protective uh, or healing little prayers that are all rolled up." And I thought, "Oh, that's, that's kind of interesting." And she showed me on eBay what they look like because they they were sealed on this necklace. Mm. And I looked at them and said, oh, the, the illustrations on them, they look like grays, gray aliens. Mm. And the writing looked something like what I had started to see in alien writing samples. Only these were, it turns out, and, and all I knew is they were Ethiopian. They're written in an ancient language called Giaz, which was developed and was active primarily uh, around... Uh, 1000 or 900 BC. Okay, it's it's a dead language. And that is the language that the book of Enoch was written in. Originally, the Vatican has a copy. I think the only original copy written in Gaelic. Yes, yes. Well, and then the book of Enoch has that very interesting ancient astronaut theory related to um, you know, the fallen ones or the watchers uh being uh integrated with the human race or creating the human race, whichever way you want to look at it. But the writing, the Gia's writing, to me, that's the key. That's that's your your evidence. That's how you trace something back. 
you can if you look at the the book of mormon um joseph smith was he encountered the angel moroni who hands tells him where to get these gold plates they've got funny writing on them he actually in the anthon uh transcript he copied some of that funny writing and then he was told by the angel to transcribe all of this into english which he did it became the book of mormon but that funny writing is referred to in the book of mormon as reformed egyptian okay and Mm -hmm. does it look like egyptian well sometimes it has some characteristics but it's not identical so what does that mean when you have languages that are similar but not identical to me that suggests exactly what we're talking about which is they could have been here there could have been uh, contact interaction with humans maybe they gave us language maybe they sh- we shared it with them whatever it was if they left for a while well we all know that i mean language changes you know, in america language for example we still use medieval english words that in england they went well beyond them you know so we're sort of a reformed english um in the and so i think it's possible by looking at language that you can tell uh, when and if uh, we've had alien uh, interaction in our past. Nancy, can you, can we switch gears because we only have a few minutes left. Could you talk to us about how do you tell if you're receiving a message from an alien? Is there a way to know if a message is authentic or if you're being messed with? Uh, Do you have any advice for that? My only advice is, and this comes out of, you know, my paranormal uh, investigator background also, which is always be on your guard, use your powers of discernment, know your spiritual allies before you start messing around with spiritual messages, Mm -hmm. and um, be aware that uh, they can switch over. There are tricksters, and they exist in that world as well. Real quick example, when I was in college, Two of my friends, their mom was the world's most famous alien channeler. I didn't believe any of that stuff at the time. I thought it was interesting. But anyway, she came to, we brought her to come and speak at the college. She bent a spoon for me without touching. And I thought, well, that's weird. And promptly didn't think about it. But anyway, she, one of the strangest stories was that she was receiving messages and regularly channeling these entities, alien entities that she knew. One day, some other entity got into her and within 17 seconds she had gained 40 pounds all the buttons on her shirt popped off her her skirt everything popped she wasn't able to take the weight off for another two years and that was a woman who had regular contact who was a medium in that sense a channeler and who could feel and discern and all that and even she couldn't quite feel the get the difference yes yeah 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 and obviously wasn't protected or able to defend herself against it now that raises another question for me and uh, as we wind down but it's a very important one and that is about the whole aspect of fear many people have a great fear of aliens because of the fact that it is unknown but also because of the mainstream media, the way it portrays these aliens as being all powerful and more powerful than humanity and so on. But do you think that there is a place for fear or caution in how we deal with this alien phenomenon? I think there's absolutely a place for caution and there's no place for fear. You just can't be afraid. Uh, Yes, they 
obviously have incredible mind control uh, capacities. I mean, the cases all indicate that. So understand that, be aware of it. Know that you may be manipulated, but don't be frightened because fear uh, feeds into itself and I think energizes certain really negative uh, entities that you don't want to have energized. Yes, yes, yes. Now, in general, how how is your book being received? In other words, do you think that humanity is ready for it? Like, has it been welcomed with open arms or are are you finding people are still rejecting the possibility that there are there is alien life? I think, uh, first of all, I mean, it's for me, the response has been amazingly good. Um, and I know that, you know, anybody who's sort of got a familiarity with this field is just saying, wow, because they haven't seen this being done before. It just hasn't been done. Right. So it's opened up a whole different avenue. Um, of the people who don't have any experience, I think I've even gotten a certain limited level of respect from them, which I think is funny. <laughs> so, so I'm proud of that, you know, and they'll come around. Eventually everybody will come around. They will. Yeah, it's an important subject, absolutely, and it is an extension of what we know so far about them. And um, it's too bad we don't have time because I have some of my own experiences that would make me think as you're you know, talking about this subject today. So hopefully you'll be able to come back on and we could continue the conversation. Sure, I'd be happy to. And by the way, if any, because I am putting together a worldwide database, if any of your listeners have samples of recorded uh, alien speech or writings, I don't mm-hmm. care if it's channeled, I don't care what, I am very interested if they would be willing to share that with me. They can uh, send it to me, you can get a hold of me on either one of my websites, theskepticalpsychic.com or talkalien.com. Okay. Right. I'm Fantastic. glad you I'm glad you gave out those websites, Nancy, because I want to put a link to them at the bottom of this podcast when it goes out. But one other thing I wanted to do by way of closing was you have such a, a laudable and very, very impressive bio that I want to just read a tiny little bit of it before we leave our listeners today. For many years, Nancy has taught psychic and mediumship development workshops in the New York tri-state area and lectures on a variety of topics including psychic mediumship, remote viewing, securities litigation, health policy, alien communication and so on. She is a frequent media guest on radio and TV and is a repeat guest on Coast to Coast AM with George Nuri. You are also the author of several books, How to Talk to an Alien, which we will have a link below, and Psychic Intuition, Everything You Ever Wanted to Ask But Were Afraid to Know, which is explaining psychic ability in terms of neuroscience, psychology, and linguistics. You also have Behind Criminal Minds, which you co-wrote with a New York City homicide detective, and The Art of the Limoges Box, an interesting art history book. So that gives an idea of where you're coming from. You've graduated with uh, degrees of honours from uh, Pace Law School and you're a published member of the Law Review Board and editor of the Law School newspaper. And you are also fluent in French and trained in German and Thai languages. So that gives you a fantastic background with which to tackle alien languages. So that does bring us to the end of our show today. Nancy, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and it's been an education and an inspiration Yes, thank you, Nancy. And we will be uh, delving into that book, won't we, Johanna? We certainly will. We certainly will. Thank all right. You. Thank you again for taking the time to talk to us. We have run over, but all in a good cause. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. Take care and be okay. safe out there. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. 
You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.